0: Hey, if you want to learn how to build yourself out of your business so that your business can run without you completely so that you can sell it for a lot of money because investors don't want to buy a business that gives them a job or just because you want to have more time doing fun things going on holiday or maybe just so you can pick and choose when you want to work or not, you're going to want to watch this week's show. See you on the inside. Hi, and welcome. My name is Perry Mardon. In this week's show, I'm going to do something a little bit different. So up to this point, I have been interviewing people, interviewing business owners and investors. But today, I want to share some stories and some key teachings, because I want to muck around with how I approach this show. I want to know what serves you, the listener or watcher to get the most out of our amazing work. So if you like this form of format where I'm not just interviewing and sharing insights from working with clients, let me know. If you prefer the interview style, let me know that as well. Our job is to produce a show that gives you the best results and outcome. So any feedback assists us in doing that. So one of the things that I wanted to do today was to help you understand the importance of self-mastery as a business owner. We do very deep work in our clients' psyches, meaning we help them understand every belief structure or behavioural pattern that impacts their ability to invest well or build a business And for the most part, until someone experiences doing this work with us, it's really hard for them to grasp the importance of why they would want to. So I plan to approach today working around very practical aspects of building yourself out of the business. In fact, I'm going to share a couple of the foundation things that must be done to build yourself out of the business. But then I'm going to use some client examples to help you understand how your psychology will help you build yourself out of your business or undermine you from building yourself out of the business. And I think by the end of this show, you'll really understand the importance of self-mastering. Okay, so let's just quickly kick this off with getting to the ideal. You'll always hear me talk about Helping clients build their business so it operates without them. And to me, that should be the priority of every business owner for many reasons. First up, I'm going to say I love doing what I do. So I like to work. In fact, as an example, I love doing this show. I have very rare and unique skills when it comes to working deep within business owners' and investors' psyches. I'm able to read people. I'm able to help them see their unconscious belief patterns. And these are things that I love, I really enjoy. And, and in some sense, I think of them as my gifts to the world. They are rare gifts. And so when clients get to take advantage of them, it. Provides incredible breakthroughs and accelerates their ability to achieve what they want in in business and through their investing. So I'll never stop doing that. However, I've always built businesses so that they run without my constant input because, you see, I want income that's not tied to my production, meaning I want income whether I'm sleeping in, whether I'm surfing, whether I am travelling with my family. And to me, that is the ultimate for a business person. Why else do you go into business? I'm sure many of you watching this have chosen to get into business or become investors because you want freedom. So this whole priority to build a business that runs separately From me or from you is, you know, the pinnacle as far as I'm concerned of business building. And it's really interesting because lots of mentors don't teach this. In fact, my own mentor is hugely successful in many ways, but the guy has no freedom. He just works all the time. And the more successful he gets, the more he works, upsets his family. Now, I don't want that. I want to have success that doesn't get me trapped. So the more success that I have means the more free time I have and the more money I have. So it's really important to set out with that goal in mind, because if you don't, it just takes longer to get there. And most people are programmed not to set that as their goal. They sort of think, well, no, oh, I don't have much money, I don't have many resources, so I'll start out and I'll just do everything myself, everything. And typically that's the biggest mistake possible, but that's how most people start out in business, keeping their team small, to the start just doing it themselves. And that becomes a habit where if they went into their business right from the start, knowing they had to build themselves out of the business and put team in place, then there'd be far greater levels of growth, far greater, more profit in the business and less operational roadblocks. So first important thing to say here, by the way, is when you don't approach business building the way that I'm about to share, which is building yourself out of the business, making yourself redundant from every role within your business, you will be the roadblock in your business. So personally, I'm in a business building mode again for the first time in a very long time. And what I have to be very careful of, because I'll be doing more than I normally would, meaning taking on more roles than I normally would. I'll tell you why as we get into this. I have to be really mindful that moving them on, those roles on as soon as I can, because I'll become a roadblock. In fact, I was just looking yesterday and I was looking, aha, uh-huh, I'll become a roadblock in that area of my business. I'm holding my staff up. I'm not able to give them information that they need. If I wasn't there, I wouldn't be the roadblock. So when we start to build ourselves out of our, our roles and delegate them and give them to other people, we tend to have far greater operational efficiencies and therefore growth happens faster. So I'm sure you get that, and I hope you're on board with me. That's the best way to build out a business. Now, build yourself out of the business. So let's get into some fundamentals of building yourself out of the business. Well, the first thing is as a business owner, you want to be working in your gifts and your strengths. And you want to be doing that pretty much every working hour of your day. And if you're not sure what your strengths and gifts are, just go to my website, perimardon.com, and you will see a link to an assessment that will help you understand your strengths and gifts and weaknesses as an entrepreneur or investor. That will be a great place for you to start. You see, when you're working in your Gifts and strengths. First of all, you're not working. You enjoy what you're doing. You heard me say earlier that I still enjoy working with people and using my people reading skills and my analytical strategic skills to help them in business. I also love doing the show and presenting and teaching. And both those things fall into my gift profile. And both those things are hugely enjoyable for me to do. And both those things make me more money than anything else that I do. So, as an example, if I present a live training, a workshop, especially in person, that just means dollars to me because I have an impact when I present. I have an impact when I teach. I have an impact when I educate. So, My gifts and strengths put me into what we call my highest dollar productive zone, meaning every hour that I spend doing those things, I get a higher financial return than I would if I was doing the books and I still meet business owners that come to work with us who are doing their books thinking they're saving themselves money. No, you want to be in your gifts and strengths for as long as you're working every day because that will put you in your highest dollar productive zone. And then, as I said, work's not work. It's fun. It's play. You're going to have a lot more energy. Then, if that's what you're doing, then what you need to be doing, of course, is delegating everything else, everything. So personally, as I said before, I'm in business building mode first time in a long time you know we've been fairly fortunate that we had business that's constantly come to us over the years but now we have different goals so i'm out taking on board more and as i take on board more like most business owners the first comes to me i'm looking at i'm involved i'm involved and of course i might want to be involved because i need to be making decisions i am the business owner after all however I've got to be really mindful that I don't keep staying involved with the decision-making processes or those roles. I must hand them off to my team as soon as possible to keep me, as I said, and my guests in my, my highest dollar productive zone, and then I'm not going to be overwhelmed because I've just got the three or four things that I do every day, and I'm handing that the other roles and activities on to other people. Now, typically... Most business small to medium business owners have many blocks to delegating. So when we say blocks, what do blocks mean? It means that there are belief systems, usually irrational belief systems, stopping them from delegating. And We're going to get into some of them today, but just off the top of my head, well, it's not off the top of my head because I'm sneaking and look at this board that I've got some notes on here. The first one is people think, well, I can't afford it. I just can't afford it. I've got limited resources, limited cash flow. And, of course, sometimes finances are tight. And we're not talking about being impractical. But if you're a business owner and you've got tight resources and you're trying to do everything yourself, you'll find that you, and you just know this, if you listen to this and this is you, you know you're a roadblock because you're like a blue-ass fly. You just i rush into that sort of can get that half done, then i am got to rush to that, and I'm sort of getting that half done, and then I rush to that, and that's sort of half done. So it takes you a long time to get anything done because you just got so much to do. So growth gets slowed down. You're blocking growth. And, And not only in that, because you've got to do so much, you're undermining your most important resource, which is your thinking abilities. You see, an entrepreneur your wealth comes from thinking not doing so when you're doing all the time if you're that business owner rushing around doing this just doing then you don't have time for thinking and if you don't have time for thinking then no one's doing the strategies or no one's working on the the business development plans no one's getting breakthrough ideas about how to grow the business fast you're just doing and again Be aware that 90% of business owners are trained to be doers. You grew up in a school environment where you were supposed to be doing all the time. Then you went and got a job, and when you got a job, you had to be doing all the time to get validated by the boss. So most people are trained to be doers, and they feel guilty about taking time out and thinking, okay, where your major asset as an entrepreneur is your thinking ability. So taking time out and, and not having too many roles in your business It's vitally important because your main role is to think, to think. Okay, so you can see if you're doing everything in your business you don't have a lot of resources, and don't have a lot of cash flow, you're then becoming a roadblock. Nothing's been done properly. Nothing's been done fast. So if you start to bring someone on, so I'm just imagining you've got restricted resources because that's the level of excuse. Well, if you start to bring someone on, you need to, to bring someone on to free up roadblocks because once you free up the roadblock, projects get, get finished qu- quicker because you're no longer the roadblock in the business. You've got more set of hands, you've got someone that's even a, a, a greater expert in that area. And by the way, that's another problem with these business owners that try to do everything because of their lack of resources. You know, as I said, you're not working your strength profile, and so you're not particularly good at it, and you're going to get tired. Where if you're delegating to people that are experts in their particular area, roadblocks gone, projects get completed quickly. And of course, yes, there's a fear around cash flow for a while, okay, because, yes, you're going to outlay some money, but it will come back faster because those roadblocks are shifted in your business and things start to move far faster. Projects get finished and you get to the marketplace quicker. So that's usually the first excuse. I can't afford it. And nine times out of 10, it never stacks up. The other excuse for people not in delegating is, as I said before, just train to do it. <laughs> Sometimes I meet these, other, this is terrible, but, but I used to work in, um, do a lot of training to salon owners for some of the big franchise companies and the salon supply companies. And, in the salon business, you got some real smart operators and they'd have five or six salons and uh, knew how to run teams and what have you, and they'd bring me in to help them do that. But I'd meet these, one of my consultants used to call them Sweaty Bettys, and that's his name. I said, pretty rude and horrible, but it was a really good avatar for this type of person. So Sweaty Betty comes into the salon in the morning and, you know, they're uh, she's opening up the mail and then she's, sweeping the floor and then she's you know bringing the client in and she's starting to work with the client and it is then she's rushing off to do the newsletter and you know she might have one or two stuff but she's just gotten this mentality of doing and she'd feel guilty if she stopped she's just programmed she gets home at the end of the day and she thinks oh god i worked so hard today i feel so good because i worked so hard now Entire work that she was doing is stupid. She's opening up the mail, right? <laughs> Going down the bank to bank, back to the cash. It's just a waste of time. She's not in a high dollar productive zone. She's not She's not leveraging her core resources, her core strengths. She's doing things that she should be paying someone 20 or 30 bucks an hour to do. So if you've been trying to be a doer, it just becomes an unconscious habit to do things yourself and you'll feel good about yourself because you're fulfilling some unconscious work ethic the other aspect of that is there are a lot of people that go well why would i pass that on i can do it i can do it and so i used to have this one i'm capable at a lot of different things meaning you know i can uh, I can work out software quickly. I could build a website. I could do, do do all sorts of things, and I used to enjoy getting those skills, and then I realised this is just ridiculous because the more that you can do things, the more roles that you'll go to take on, the the, the less that you are spending time in your highest dollar productive activities. Uh, the other one is I don't trust people. Okay, We're going to get into that a little bit later. So oftentimes uh, if someone's been betrayed a bit in their life, they'll have a rationalisation for why they won't delegate, but on the unconscious level they're just afraid of being betrayed or they can't trust people. So these are some of the unconscious blocks that stop people delegating. So you can see, let's just go back through those things again quickly. So first of all, as a business owner, identify your strengths and gifts and just spend all day working your strengths and gifts. Delegate everything else to other People get clear about the blocks that are stopping you, the mental blocks, the belief blocks that might stop you from delegating. And here's the next thing um, you want to make sure that you employ experts who are gifted in the area that you are applying them to. Now, again, most business owners know. Very little about human behaviour or human psychology, and this is to their detriment. So when I'm employing someone, first of all, I'm going to uh, really understand their personality profile mm-hmm. simply by doing what I've suggested you do. Go to my website, uh, go do the uh, assessment about your strengths and gifts and weaknesses so anyone that i'm employing I'm putting through that so i can sort of understand what their strengths and gifts are make sure that they map the role and i'm also going to ensure that they are high in conscientiousness meaning that they pride themselves their sense of self-worth comes from doing things really really well and when they don't do things really well or they make mistakes they actually experience guilt and shame so if i'm employing someone whose personality style is really strong in these particular areas so the role matches them meaning that they're going to love doing what they do they're going to have natural natural abilities in that area and obviously they would have had experience in that area and they're conscientious oh my god that person's just going to be incredible in fact i'm just going to build my whole team like that, so everyone's in their highest dollar productive zone, doing what they love with really good expertise and they're conscientious, so i don 't have to manage them because they feel ashamed when they um, make a mistake or get less than stellar outcomes and in that way, i'm employing people with similar values to me. The problem for most business owners they employ people that have completely different values to them and think they can change them, they can't, and then they just spend their time tearing their hair out about how bad their staff are. That's why you need to understand uh, psychology on a deep level. Now, for those of you uh, interested, contact us if you really want to upgrade who you attract to your team, how you recruit people and how you lead people. Clients that work with us on a deeper level, um, that's one of the priority trainings that we give them. In fact, we give them a recruitment system that guarantees to get rid of comfort seekers from even applying. So comfort seekers, well, they don't have high performance values. They're not super conscientious. And basically 78% of the population fit into this profile. What will happen when you leave your business to go out for the afternoon or to go away for a week is they'll all slack off. When you know how to uh, recruit high performers who have high levels of conscientiousness in their value systems, you can leave your business and they're going to run it just as perfectly as you would, even better. Okay? So really important to understand this stuff. So if you're interested in that and you want help with your team and staff, just contact us because it's something that we specialize in and we help you get the knowledge that we have around people and teams. Okay. So the other aspect of delegating, so here we are, we've got everyone on the team and their highest dollar of productive activities. We have uh, everyone doing what they're highly skilled at and what they love. And by the way, I, I prefer to employ people that have real high levels of expertise. In my experience, it's worth spending the money on those people that are really highly, highly skilled. When I was younger, I used to think, oh, no, I can't afford that, I can't spend that. I would just pay the price. So especially in important areas of business like marketing where a high level of expertise, which is going to cost you more, but a high level of expertise, which has been proven over the years, so anyone with a high level of expertise has results and has had results for years, they're going to charge you a lot. But the, the outcome difference between... A person with real expertise and the sort of average types that you pay a lot less for, it's just not worth it. Pay the money, you just get the results. Expertise is valuable and worth investing into. So typically when we delegate, we start to look at a couple of key principles. So first of all, just imagine here you are, you've got brought a new team member on. Well, first of all, what you want to do is you need to set them up so that they are able to take care of every aspect of their role without ever having to come to you. So if you're a business owner who has staff members that are coming to you to ask you questions all the time, then, well, it says a couple of things. First of all, you haven't trained your staff properly, or you may not have the right stuff. We're going to get into that in a second, but it's usually either of those two things. Because if you've done this effectively, you'll have a really well-defined system, a well-mapped-out system, and you'll have a systems manual, and you'll train that person in how to run that system. The system means, you know, all the processes within their role. And you'll work out what the scope of decision-making capacity they have. So sometimes this is tied down to... Uh, dollars, you know, you can only spend, uh, you make decisions up up to a thousand dollars or three thousand dollars or what have you. That's sort of some criteria, but basically, you're going to help that person understand that they're allowed to make they've been given permission, we call this permission, they've been given permission to make decisions about all these things. Now everything else is documented and so decisions are usually things that fall outside of normal everyday criteria. And they're allowed to make decisions around all these things. They're given that they've been given their permission. You see, if you haven't given permission to them, they're not clear about that, then some people, depending on the level of confidence, we'll talk about that in a second, will not make any decision and they'll keep coming back to you to have things checked off on and then it's a waste of time having staff member and really confident people will decide that they can make the decision when they probably don't have the skill set for making that decision so the first thing is what is the level of permission around their decision making and the next thing is their confidence so if they're allowed to make decisions around all these things some people by nature will be confident in decision making and some people won't uh, What I mean by confidence? Okay, so I have a staff member who for years would be given permission that they could make decisions around these areas of their department and they would maybe get partway through their decision-making process but they would always come to me to just make sure that I agreed with what they were doing and this is to a person that had the permission to make those decisions without having to come to me. So you can see in many ways this person really, really lacked confidence. In fact, what they wanted, and I'll explain why this is important to understand because you've got to understand people. What they really wanted was a mummy or a daddy to make decisions for them because if the mummy or the daddy made the decision, so by the way, mummy or daddy is being symbolic here. But it probably ties back into their early childhood, okay? So if, if the mummy or the daddy or the boss makes the final decision, then if anything goes wrong, I can't get in any kind of trouble because the boss signed off on this. That type of person has low confidence. Now, you can work with them to help bring their confidence up, but some people will never have the confidence. They're not leaders, okay? That type of person is a follower and... From uh, in our profiling system, that would fall into the evaluator. The evaluator must have rules. They the evaluator likes to work in environments where there are rules. Something about this person I know, like the, I can't swear because it's on a show, but like this guy is. I like him, but he is a beep 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 beep. beep. He's a bureaucrat. He works for Australian Health Department and. You know, he's got these rules and all he does is go around terrorising people because Australia is one of the most rule-fixated countries in the world. In fact, it's a nanny state but, uh, and getting worse. And so he's the enforcer of the rules for the bureaucrats. He doesn't think about whether the rules are fair on people or whether they're good rules, bad rules. Uh, he's just there terrorising everyone, right? I'm sure he, he serves. He, he's of service, but like most bureaucrats, in australia and their rules are a bit too fixated go too far and so he's around there terrorizing everyone Uh, (laughs) in his particular field i can't mention what field it is and uh you know he's part of a regulatory body but he's there following the rules following the rules following the rules and making sure everyone follows the rules that the government's laid down now this person's a follower they're really good at what they do But that type of person can fall into what I talked before where they have very low levels of confidence and even though you give them permission, even though you keep working with them to build up the confidence so they can make the decision on their own, they don't want to because they want a mummy or daddy or an organisation to take the fall for any mistakes and that's just how they are wired. Those types of people just need to work in rules oriented environments. And as I said before, that falls under the – typically evaluators can move that way uh, in our profiling system. And again, if you haven't done it, go check out uh, – go to the website and check out our entrepreneurs' and investors' uh, psychological or behavioural assessment, and then you'll get a lot from it. Okay, so there's some basic things that need to be done in, in that. Permission. Making sure the person has the information that they need. So as I said, if they've got low confidence, you improve their confidence by helping them make the decision, helping give them the information to make the decision. But after a little while, they should have all the information. They should be able to go away and leave you alone. Leave you alone. Because if you've got a staff member who won't leave you alone, who's not willing to make decisions, they're a drain. You're going to have to move them out of a leadership position if that's the case. Because you need people on your team and this takes me another thing you need to think in departments you need to have that department managed by one person another department managed by another person it doesn't matter if you're in a small business and they have got to manage it you've got your jobs to do they've got their jobs to do and then we have operation efficiencies and no roadblocks everyone does that if you've got people on your team that even though you've given all the information as I said and they keep coming back asking more questions wasting more of your time even though you've given them the information just help them You know, there's a point in time where you have to stop that and just go, they're not right for the role. Okay, then the next thing that you would have in place is you need to measure. So... Once we have someone's role in place, there's going to be accountability around the metrics for whatever that department's responsible for. And as a business owner, you are getting the metrics. Now, why do you need the metrics? Because you really need to see who's performing and who's not performing. And if you don't have the metrics, it's just an assumption, but the, the metrics will show you whether the person is performing or not. And then you can train and upgrade their skill set or discipline where required, meaning maybe they can't do it and you've got to let them go, okay? And uh, if you're not willing to do that, well, who are you sabotaging? Anyway, so there's some of the fundamental things that you have to do on a very practical level to build yourself out of the business, a lot more of it. There's, there's two or three there that we're sort of concentrated on. I want to go sideways now and head into patterning. So I started the show today saying, you know, like most people don't really understand uh, how important it is to develop self-mastery. And I'm going to say right now it is equally as important as being strategically and technically proficient as a business owner or investor, but it is not something that people concentrate on. You know, I hear, these, I hear all the business mentors and the business coaches and the investor coaches talking about mindset, you know, so they they, they speak to it, they take a cursory glance at it, and you know 9.9 times out of 10 what they teach around mindset is just very rudimentary and shows well this is not a negative about them by the way it's not not their area of expertise but they show a very low level of understanding about the human psyche because change happens from the unconscious out and if the unconscious doesn't take on new belief systems, new behavioural patterns that will never happen. And so that takes a, a specific expertise and understanding of how to work within the human psyche. So hopefully with what I'm going to go through, it's going to really help you understand a little bit more about the psyche of, of entrepreneurs and investors and why it's important for you to really understand yourself Understand yourself completely as an entrepreneur or business owner. And then once you understand yourself, evolve, upgrade, move past lower level forms of thinking and believing and acting as an entrepreneur or investor or human being. Okay, so those practical things, I'm sure you can all see that this makes sense what I've shared. Well, I'm going to use some client stories, as I said. The first one, and uh, I communicated about this client yesterday in my Inner Circle Facebook group for investors and entrepreneurs. So if you haven't already, make sure, just go to my website. You'll see uh, a link there on the homepage to my Inner Circle Facebook group where I do a whole bunch of live casts and special trainings into that group. Um, So if you like this kind of information, uh, just go join. But anyway, I was... uh, communicating to the group yesterday about this client. And this particular person lives in Perth, in WA, Australia, for those from outside of this country. And this would probably even 12, 13, maybe even 14 years ago, this guy approached me. Just paint the picture with him first. So I used to do a lot of training, I think I even said earlier today on the show, into uh, a lot of salons and salon owners. So I did trainings for Weller, Worldwide Salon Marketing, some of the other supply uh, companies to the salon industry. And my job was to be the business trainer and help these uh, people build successful uh, multiple businesses, many of them, teaching what I'm teaching here now, right, how to build yourself out of the business. Now, so this guy came to me. He's super flamboyant. He's a star. And so, in the salon world, if you are a star, it means that you're serving you know, like the models and the actors and the actresses, and you um, are constantly in the magazines, giving hairstyling tips. And I'm not talking about the lowbrow women's weekly magazines. I'm talking about the high-end fashion magazines. And you know, this guy had all the trappings to go with it. He was kind of a good-looking guy and dressed quite flashy, and had the flashy car, and 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 very extroverted. And, you know, I remember going into a salon and it's like just the way he would move and and how he would uh, communicate. He was a charmer, you know, uh, what we call a star profile. Um, So a star profile is a a people attractor. They're really good with people. They're magnetic to people and everyone wants to be around them. And uh, as I said, really good hairstylist helped him feel beautiful. So he charged, this is a high-end salon. They charged a, a lot of money. And he had, I forget what it was, about four or five staff at that time. uh, Maybe it's six or seven, but they all took a secondary role to him, meaning, you know, he was a star. And the, (laughs) the problem for him, of course, is the more successful his name got, the more everyone wanted him. And... So the more successful he got, the tighter he got. He still had a business to run. He still had staff. And the staff was sort of secondary. So if you've got a a salon like that, people are paying top bucks to see him. But everyone else still wants to go to the salon because they've heard how amazing this guy is. And the salon's got a bit of an aura around it because of what he set up. So you've got people that will pay less, but they're working with the, 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 um, uh, the other hairstylists. So it's still all based around him. So he's burnt out and tired. And he wants to shift the business so that he doesn't have to work in it. He would like to set up another salon. So have two salons, have passive income, so he can go and do some of the things that he said he wanted to do. So obviously we started to put in some of the protocols that we talked about today. One of the big things, by the way, we had to extrapolate his or, or, or take his star profile and now build it into his team. So rather than it being about him, I am the special one. I am the incredible one. I am the gifted one. That had to be passed on to his team. My team are gifted. My team are incredible. And that's the positioning that was required to make the selling success would turn things away from him. So basically, these are my hand-picked people that I, the superstar, have trained. Okay? So he approached that reasonably well, but (laughs) at that point, I knew that I was going to be struggling with something with him, that he would start to undermine This the process of the business running without him. But oftentimes when I'm in the middle of things, I just watch, see and watch how things unfold. I make a mental note. I do that in my own business as well. I watch people. I see how things unfold. I don't always rush in to to deal with it. I, I like patience. I like to think things through and observe. But what I could see is he was kind of resistant to turning his team into the stars. And, of course, if you've spent your whole life having your ego adulated, and, of course, if your ego is getting adulated and you're the kind of person that that impacts greatly, you've got uh, dopamine cursing through your system, giving you a sense of high, a sense of being amazing, unreal, uh, as a guy, you'll tend to have great level, levels of testosterone pumping through your system when you're getting adulated. So he's got all these feel-good chemicals running through his system all the time because everyone's going like that to him. And for those that can't see because you're listening to this, I've just almost uh, adulate you know, prayer to the altar, of the amazing cell. and right? the hairstylist. So... First of all, that's where I go, ah, he's addicted to this. He's addicted. He doesn't want the girls getting it because he sees that as a threat. Anyway, he completes it. I can see he's struggling with it, but he completes it. I'm on his back all the time and we get there. And we finally get the salon to the point where, and by the way, I'll give you one other strategy here because it's really important. So he's constantly building the profile up of his team of the girls, his PR going out about the amazing training that they've been getting and When his clients are coming in, he's actually turning around building the other stylists up in front of his clients and all other clients. Then what happens is one day he starts to shift his clients on. So he spent this time priming that the hairstylist is stars. Then he needs to shift his clients to one of those hairstylists. He's chosen that hairstylist. And he says to one of his customers, I am unable to be there for the next blah, 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 blah. so I can't do your hair. But uh, Shelly is my top stylist. I've trained her. She's been away and she's been working with L'Oreal and she's just been working with such and such a model. She will look after your hair. I've picked her to look after you. So that's the kind of approach you use to shift the client on to uh, someone else so that you can start to extrapolate yourself to make yourself redundant from the business. So he went through all that process. He started to set his clients up with his team members and he was finally to the point where he did not have to come into his business. By the way, we put in a leadership team. Just one other hint here. Because someone's a good worker doesn't mean that they're a leader. When you recruit leaders, you're looking for different value systems to good workers. Anyway, so he's finally out of the business. And so I've sort of done my job, and I think I went from working with them every two days to once a month check-in, but I'm starting to get calls from his leaders going, "Hey, he keeps coming in. He keeps finding problems. He's in here all the time talking to to the customers. He's in here pointing out all the mistakes that we're supposedly making, and he's turning molehills into mountains. Meaning he's being a dramatist. And anyway." Not hard to see how quickly he came in and I spent some time with him and all the things that I'd sort of seen when he was passing on, the star profile from him to his team were certainly fully inflated in his personality now and there was another element, which I'll get into in a second. So what happened is that the moment he was free of his business and the business was running for him, he went into a well, depression started to rise in him, a sense of flatness, and instead of going off and doing all the things that he said he wanted to do when he was free from his business, his inner addict, what was his inner addict wanting? His inner addict was triggered, okay? And his inner addict was triggered because he wasn't getting certain uh, dopamine hits that he was used to getting. So what were those dopamine hits he was used to getting? Well, as I said before, when you are good at something and people adulate you, your sense of self worth is constantly being stroked. And so you walk around feeling good about self because other people are telling how good you are. So all of a sudden, once he was out of the salon at home, no one's telling him how good he is. So he actually meets the truth of his unconscious, which is, well, Without that adulation, I don't feel that great about myself. So that's first level of work on for him. The second one was, this guy's an extrovert. It's not just he wanted the adulation. he, He loved connecting. He loved the whole interplay between him and a client. He loved giving the gift of helping his female clients feel beautiful through what he did for them. So... I had to work with him because, like most people, he didn't really know what was going on within him. He could just see the surface manifestations of the behaviour and he was rationalising why he had to come in and and get back into the salon trying to find fault with the girls, even though there was nothing to find fault in. So I had to get him clear about what was really happening on the unconscious level. So again, those two things. He's saying, on the unconscious level, I'm no longer getting that meaningful interaction with people where I give them my gift. And I'm not around people telling me how good I am all the time. So in that conversation with him, I helped him see those patterns. And that's the most important thing you can ever do for anyone, help them fully see their patterns. So he could fully see it. And once he could fully see it, he could make a decision. And... My question to him was, what do you want? Do you want to keep getting the dopamine hits from everyone adulating you? Or do you want to have several businesses that run without your constant input so you can go and do the things that you said you wanted to do when you first came to me? And so in some way, by the way, at this point we're now going, what are you going to do with your ego? Okay. What are you going to do with your ego? And the other thing I said, well, with the contribution aspect, I don't consider that ego, by the way. That would be a fundamental. So in the same way that I have a set of gifts of people reading, and so if I don't live out those gifts, I'm not fulfilling myself and my gifts aren't able to help someone. So with him, I had to recognise that that was not ego, his desire to make people feel beautiful, which he had a great skill for, even just the way he communicated to people. Um not not just how he could style people's hair, that he had to find another way of living that out because that's how he got a lot of his meaning in life, his sense of fulfillment was through connection and providing people with his form of of, of love. Okay. And But as I said to him, you need to get that outside of your business and not try and find it in your business. Or secondly, find it through your relationship with your leadership team, which is the path that he went down. So he started to find other ways to contribute to keep that part of him fulfilled. So, again, I I share that with you because of for two reasons. It's like... Yes, you it didn't matter that he got all that good technical advice from me and he put all that technical stuff into place. If he didn't have someone that helped him understand his patterns, he, he would have just sabotaged that whole damn thing and not seen, not knowing why. He would have just kept coming to the salon. He would have kept eroding his team and staff um, and undermining them and not even knowing it because his ego wanted the adulation. So understanding your patterns and then, I, as I said earlier, evolving your patterns is totally important if you want to be an incredibly profitable entrepreneur or investor. You've got to evolve and upgrade your patterns. And I'll finish off with one other story or client story. Um, ah, yeah, well, these, these stories are endless, by the way. I'll probably share a few over there few more over the coming months but i mean i've been doing this work for just working with people i don't know like over 30 years so i've got a whole <laughs> bank of stories about the human psyche from an entrepreneurial and investor's perspective okay uh, i've got two that i could use actually what would be a good one okay i'm going to go to yeah so I'll go to a trust one so a gentleman I worked with uh, many years ago within the first year we did all the things that I said earlier we put key key team in place um, and undid the roadblocks in the business by the, the, when I first started working with the business owner he was trying to he, he was doing about four or five roles And because he had four or five roles none of those roles were being done efficiently or properly so we profiled him up and we worked out all these three roles put them in his gift zones and his highest lot productive activities we gave the two roles to uh, a new leader that we brought on so all of a sudden there was a far greater operational efficiency and I think in the first year we I, I saved him about 20 hours a week um, meaning he had 20 more hours to do the stuff that he loved and he loved tramping and going outdoors and skiing and things like that and um, spending more time with his girlfriend and his son. And uh, we added about I think 250 grand extra in profit in the first year just by doing what we're talking about, shifting the roadblocks, having people working in the highest dollar productive zone. Um, however, then around the 10th or 11th month mark, things started to unravel a little bit. And, again, I had a call from the manager that we'd put in to handle the two roles that I told you he passed off and telling me Look, such and such, can't mention the name, he's, he's in the business, he's coming to the business, he's, he's just getting a bit erratic and he's watching and he is just on everyone's back all the time. Anyway, I was like, well, what's going on here? Why, why have we had this 10 or 11 months where this hasn't showed up and now it's happening for him? Anyway, um, I go and spend some time with the owner and I'm going to quickly tell you about his childhood because childhoods matter when it comes to our patterns as entrepreneurs as a child, he had, I'm not going to go into the details of it, but he, he was betrayed by primary family members. So I want you to picture this for a second. As, as a young baby, when you come into the world, if you're, your mum and dad, uh, and, and there can be no such thing as a perfect parent, but let's just say they, they're good parents, and you will feel so loved because as a as a child, all you want to do is to feel loved and to be able to love back. Now, being loved is symbolic with <laughs> survival. So as an example, you know, here you are, you're like four, four, four months old and, you know, you, you smile at mummy and mummy smiles back at you and, you know, as you, as, as you smile at mummy, she, she, her oxytocin gets triggered. Oxytocin's the, the, the bonding hormone or the dopamine gets ex- triggered in your mum. Her milk supply goes up. But her smiling back at you because of your smile ensures your security, right? Oh, Mum's mom, happy with me. Mum's mom, mom, happy. She loves me. Uh, that means I'm going to get uh, some milk today and I'm going to survive. And basically that's the underlying principle. When you feel loved by mum and dad, you feel safe and you feel like you're okay as a person and by the way you'll extrapolate that into life so uh, your parents and the the belief structures that you'll create about your parents will get uh, extended or projected into your view of whatever god is or the universe So let me explain this. If you were deeply betrayed by your uh, parents in some way, whether you were abused or just mistreated, there's all sorts of forms of betrayal. Uh, There's emotional betrayal. There's true practical, physical betrayals and all those types of things. But the moment you feel betrayed by your parents, you're going to go, I can't. I can't trust the people that love, that love me. I can't trust anyone or anything. I can't trust the universe. The universe is hostile because when I was born, the first people that I met who were supposed to care for me and love me uh, betrayed me. So it sets up an anxiety within the person's system. So, at that And that belief gets extrapolated. So this is what had happened with that client. So in his childhood, he'd had many experiences of betrayal, and in his business life, he had had experiences where he had been betrayed, and this set up constant mistrust. Now, what had happened? His business had reached reached a threshold of profit and free time for him that it triggered. Things were going too good. Things were going too good. And the unconscious belief system said, this is going too good because if you've been betrayed in your childhood by your parents, remember I said that gets projected on you, 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 this is going too good. This is not. You're going to get betrayed. Remember, the universe is a hostile place. Now, some people listening to this, you might be a, a total rationalist and go, well, that doesn't make sense. Well, the unconscious doesn't make sense. That's the first thing to understand. And if you've data mined your own unconscious, you'll realise there's all sorts of belief systems and behavioural drivers, and uh, weird memories and 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 drives and desires that don't make rational sense. Okay, <laughs> it's not rational. So this gentleman, he's still running around. 50-year-old man, apparently successful business person, but he's still got this little child inside of him going, I can't trust anyone. And so this got triggered because things were going too good and he starts micromanaging. When people start uh, uh, making a mistake because everyone's gone to make a mistake, his pattern of anger would come up because if you've been betrayed as a child, you'll tend to be angry at people. So he starts micromanaging, he starts getting angry when people make mistakes, and he starts to unravel the quality culture that we had built together. Now, from his perspective, the moment this got kicked off, by the way, his adrenals are... Been kicked off all the time, so he he I don't can't trust anyone. They're they're going to betray me. Again, this is just an unconscious operating pattern. His adrenals are firing, and the the more stressed he'd get, the more he'd feel like he couldn't trust and have to keep observing, watching. What happened is that we actually lost uh, two good people because if you're a good worker and you've just made a mistake, I make mistakes, and your boss is there. And because of their betrayal, unconscious betrayal pattern, they're just giving you a hard time, and then they're coming back looking again because they can't trust you. You end up feeling like you're not honoured and that you're not respected because you know in your heart of good you're a good worker. So he lost good people, and when when they would leave, that would fulfil that unconscious script. See. I can't trust anyone. They're going. He's not even aware that he set the whole thing up. And that's the problem with some of these patterns. These patterns aren't really seen by you, and they're wreaking havoc and fulfilling themselves, and you're not really seeing it. So it's the same for him. We had to step him back and see that he'd just lost two good people that were fully trustworthy because of his deep unconscious uh, betrayal uh, and, and I can't trust anything or anyone belief systems that turned him into a control freak, micromanager and grumpy, angry guy when anyone made mistakes. So again, I really want you to see from those two people examples that they were unable to achieve the income heights and the free time heights that they did achieve But they couldn't have done that without really understanding the uh, belief systems, the unconscious belief systems and behavioural patterns that had them operating in sabotaging ways as uh, entrepreneurs. In this case, they were sabotaging the team that needed to be set up to run their businesses while they were away or should have been away on holiday having fun in Europe, drinking wine and doing good stuff like that. Anyway, I hope you got a lot from that. Now, if you are interested in finding out more about working with us, if you're interested in getting more good quality information on becoming a high-level investor or building yourself out of your business, there are a number of ways that you can do that. First one, as I said before, make sure you go and do our uh, key strengths and gifts assessment. You'll find that on the website. You can join me in my inner circle, which is my Facebook group. Again, you'll find that on the website. Also, if you really enjoy and like this uh, show, share it with other people. It is different, as you have probably worked out by now, because we do go quite deep into the psychology as well as the strategies, share it with other people. And if you really want to take a deep dive and really do your business or investing uh, an incredibly good service, an act of self-love for your future wealth would be to come and work with me in a Breakthrough Profit Workshop where I will help you very quickly see what it is within you or your business or your, your investing approach that's limiting or slowing down your ability to achieve the wealth and freedom that you're in business or investing to achieve. And, again, you'll just find that on my website. Anyway, that's it for this week's show, and uh, I look forward to connecting with you next week. And, again, feel free to tell me how we can improve the show, what formats you like, whether you like this format or the interview format. And the more feedback, the better, because we're here to serve you. See you next time. Bye.